Welcome to the Up for Discussion podcast, the only show on the internet where we talk about the things we talk about in the order we talk about them. I'm Tom Zalatni. I'm Tim Blay. We've got a special special guest coming to us live from Ireland today. It's uh, our good friend from the Graveyard Shift podcast, Scott Evans. What's up, lads? How are you doing? We're doing okay. Yeah, no complaints. Um, good, good. Welcome uh, all the way across the sea. Thank you very much. Long time listener, first time caller. Wow. <laughs> um, so what's your question today, caller? What do you want to know? When when you release the best of the worst episode, um, yep. w- which part was best? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for for you to decide. That's as for the listeners. That's uh, for Tom to know in his head, and for all the rest of us to wonder why. <laughs> the live version of Hotline Bling was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. We did that. Yeah, I yeah. haven't listened to this this episode yet. That one was. Uh, you did that before actually recording it and shooting the video. Oh, wow. Man, that was a hot take a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Tom was wow. dropping those sick beats behind you. Simon was beatboxing. Oh, I was, was playing Simon? ukulele. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. Wow. Well, I didn't know Simon We're could do that. We're a multi-talented locale. You yeah, sure are. Yeah. So, Scott, you're the you're the successful host of the uh, the number one faith and spirituality <laughs> podcast in Ireland. So, yeah, okay. I listened I listened to your interview with Greg. Yeah, occasional number one. Um, we uh, chop and change. Um, uh, we've drifted up to the top of the old religion and spirituality charts. Um, in Ireland, but that's a pretty small pool. So we're not. I'm not. Uh, I don't think any of us are wearing it as a particular badge of honor, especially not since Joyce Mayer t- tends to be the one who replaces us every couple of weeks. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's yeah. good fun. It's good. It, it's uh, I, we enjoy doing it, so that's kind of key for us. Is there like is there like a beef going there between you and who was it, Joyce Mayer? Do you get yeah. into like oh, yeah. internet fights? Yeah, them and um, yeah, yeah, whoever I find to compete with. You know how the ego is; it's so fragile. <laughs> well, you got to create drama if you want to keep going. Like that's the secret to being successful on the internet. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, pick fights with people. I mean, yeah, fanning flames of competition and anger and disdain for other people. I think I generally find is a good way to live. Hmm. Now you've you've pretty successfully you know gone to various types of media because I remember back in the day when you were the number one Christian author in Ireland. <laughs> were you not? <laughs> yeah, um, I was number in. There was this. Uh, it, I was number one in this Christian bookshop in Dunleary, um, which is a, a <laughs> suburb of Dunleary, uh, a suburb of Dublin. And I got to number one by selling six books, I think. So um, it, it's, <laughs> it's not exactly a strong market. Um, it's a lucrative business. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm raking in the big bucks, as you can imagine. Like I was doing all that, especially in Ireland. <laughs> While I was on the, like social welfare, which I guess is the Irish equivalent of North American food stamps or whatever it is you have over there. So, um, yeah, but it's been a really cool adventure, like trying to figure out, you know, in this weird and wonderful world that we're living in at the moment, how you can make a living doing all these things that you're passionate about. Or at least like, you know, mm-hmm. like the, it just feels to me like there's there's so few excuses to not do things anymore. Like because there seems like there's a YouTube hmm. tutorial for everything that I'm passionate about. And so whatever excuses I had about, oh, well, I don't know how to record a podcast or I don't know how to apply for a grant for funding or I don't know how to self-publish a book. Like the information is all there. So all the traditional modes of like getting stuff out there are now so accessible to everybody. Like there's, there's really very few things that you can tell yourself anymore for not doing things aside from either laziness or insecurity. Um, and those are both things that, you know, as part of our journeys, we should be moving past. Hmm. Wow. You sound like a motivational speaker. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I do spend a fair amount of my life doing that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I basically repeat to people the things that I tell myself in order to cope with this wonderful and weird existence that we have. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Now, I I met you when you were like you came to Canada and mm-hmm. you gave a talk at our uh, with our friends Crosstalk Ministries. Ah, uh, yes. I think that was the first time I ever met you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never really heard the full story of like what you were doing. I sort of <laughs> gathered by pieces that you were like you were somehow making your way across the continent without generally much like financial ability to do so. Yeah. Um, so what what was that like? How did that happen? And what like what was that? Yeah. So, I mean, to go back a little bit, I um I started off in youth ministry as soon as I left school and I did two four-year stints in different youth ministry positions before in 2012 I decided to um, I finished a book that I had been writing and I self-published it like through crowdfunding and decided 
basically like i mean i I know i don't know what your audience is like in terms of faith stuff so i never know how to tell this story um in a way that doesn't sound totally bananas whether you're a person of faith or not but i think our our audience is sort of all over the place so uh okay take it for what it's worth right yeah i mean i guess that's similar enough to kind of my position in ucd at the moment that you just have to talk with you know some people will some people are hearing it through their own stories and other people are just kind of they don't share that common heritage but they're interested in listening to your story um for Mm. so basically i felt this i felt this burning desire to go and to travel to north america a couple of doors that opened up to speak at american universities so i um I was kind of praying about this and was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do. And like, I generally am, I'm pretty distrusting when people are like, the Lord told me like, cause that kind of language <laughs> freaks me out. Um, cause it can, it can, it, cause usually, you know, it, like it's an excuse for somebody to do something. And so they're saying that so that you, so that nobody has any way of refuting it. Whereas, um, for me, I, I felt, I felt like I was, I was kind of praying about like, how am I going to how am I going to survive financially if I do this? And I kind of felt as I was asking God that question that he responded and he was like, I will provide as long as you don't ask anyone for money. And so I left home with like $380 and one talk booked in and ended up traveling for four months across the U S and Canada. And so it was, wow. yeah, it was, it was kind of a, it was, it was a totally insane journey. And the reason I ended up in Montreal is because Mark Dunwoody, who's the um, diocesan missioner in for the diocese of Montreal, he used to be a colleague of mine here in Ireland and so we'd work together on a load of stuff and he was kind of like yeah come over for a a few weeks or whatever I ended up staying for like two months and working with the church in Montreal yeah and you even like uh you came with us when Simon got his tattoo. I did. Yeah, we were chatting to the. That was that was that time that you came yeah, out, right? Uh, I can't remember if that was the first or second time that I came out because I came out. I think I was in Montreal for three stints, two long ones and one very short one. Mm. Um, so I don't remember if that was the first or second one, but yeah, we went and got the um, the tattoo. Um, where was that? Where is it? Where is that place? It was at. Uh, that was at Adrenaline on uh, Guy and Saint. Catherine, mm-hmm. Guy and Sherbrooke. Man, oh man, that was Guy and Sherbrooke. That's it. Yeah, um, yeah. Wow. yeah. That was a that was quite a journey. So it was great meeting you guys and and kind of hanging out and just doing random stuff and being involved in whatever was going on. <laughs> taking uh, yeah. taking Tom for his first Vietnamese food, which was fun. My oh, goodness, snap. I still to this day have only had for with you. Are you serious? You need to get your act yeah. together. You got some of the best fun in the world uh, in Montreal, and you're just well. Like, no, I mean I'm looking at it as tradition. Uh, don't be a. It's don't like, be a. It's like Scott needs to come back again in order for more Vietnamese to happen. Yeah, this, it's your fault that I haven't eaten more. We should have ordered far for this podcast. Oh, Jeez. no! I'm glad that you didn't because I would have <laughs> just been super jealous because we, the 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 pho that's available here in Dublin really does not match up to expectations. It's nothing is. It's nowhere near as good as the stuff <laughs> in Montreal. Like I'm I'm like I'm actually I have pangs thinking about the the stuff in Montreal. That was amazing. Yeah, I was back in the days when I was living up in the church with the red roof at the to- at, um, uh, Place des Alpes, um, uh, and right. I was just like ten minutes walk from Chinatown. Man, did I get fat when I was living there? Unreal, <laughs> yeah, unreal. Just, just when you were living there. Hey, you shut. You I suppose shut it's your also. It's a good thing we don't have soup on here. This podcast would just be a whole lot of slurping sounds. I suppose yeah. more than usual. Um, yeah, that. But. Uh, so when when you came to like do that first tour Mm -hmm. what was what was like the mission of it what was your purpose what were you trying to do um part of it was i was trying to figure out as uh i was trying to figure out whether or not i could kind of live by faith travel and speak and just kind of see what doors opened my long-term goal at the time was to try and make a living as an author and speaker um Mm -hmm. and so i kind of did about three years of that so the the doors in canada kind of kind of got blown wide wide open as a result of the way in which Mark connected me with stuff because when I was with you guys the first time I flew over to Nova Scotia I went to Halifax to do a youth weekend there and as a result of that and Montreal a couple of people recommended me for the National Canadian Lutheran and Anglican Youth Conference in Kamloops in BC and then from there it was like I was traveling to like my last tour I think like I think I bounced from like speaking to like 4,000 people in Texas to being up in like Seattle and then going up to Victoria and BC and speaking to like a youth group of 12 people and then like bouncing around to like Edmonton and um, uh, Saskatoon and 
uh, spent a bit of time in Ottawa. Like it was kind of this mad journey all across Canada. Um, and and it, it really was working well for a good while. And some doors opened up for me to do that full time in California. And that was about a year and a half ago. And as I was praying about it, like we'd engaged, I'd met with the Bishop of LA and we'd engaged immigration lawyers to kind of discuss whether or not this was a long-term possibility. And the door opened up for me to become the chaplain of the universe of a university here in Dublin. And I, as I was praying about it, I kind of felt like, I kind of felt like God was asking me the question, like, which place needs you more and which one would humble you more? Like, which one would, you know, which one, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like, I felt like actually doing that long term for the rest of my life might actually play into the worst parts of my ego. Um, so right. I kind of was shutting that down for myself and was like, you know what, I'm going to go back to the place that I'm from. I'm going to do some stuff with students, you know, you know, at a local community level in a place that makes me really uncomfortable in order to stretch myself and grow and learn. So, yeah, so it's been a really interesting journey in the year and a half since then. Yeah, I can imagine. And I think probably you made the right call if you're if you're looking to choose between the two that'll make you more humble. Probably moving to L.A. isn't the one. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a great track record of people like <laughs> moving to L.A. and becoming better people. Um, and, I, and I definitely <laughs> but I definitely had that many friends of this podcast live in L.A. <laughs> Hello, friends of the podcast who live in L.A. But I'm sure they've seen the temptation. I'm sure they've seen people who've like, you know, I think there's a tendency to either like either make it big and then you can kind of become something that's destructive or not make it big. And then you become quite um, you can become quite um, bitter or resentful or, you know, like and, and even the idea of mm. making it big connects to a value system that I'm just not sure that I recognize for myself anymore. So that's that has nothing to do right. with other people's journeys. That's just all my own stuff and who I think I would have become if I'd headed in that direction. So it's got nothing to do with them. It's all about my own personal brokenness. <laughs> I'm sure they've got their egos way more in check than I do. It's all about you. Yeah, it is all about me. <laughs> yeah. it, well, no, the constant struggle in my life is my tendency to make it all about me. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how do I, how do I not do that? Maybe things would be better if I didn't go down that road. Hmm. Well, how, how do you do that then? Like, how, like what, or what are some ways that you've found that have made it easier for you to not make it about you? I think committing to the local has been a really big thing for me. So um, for a good while, even before like I set off my travels, the like when i was working in the southeast of ireland like my my rhythm was to be traveling to a different place every sunday to preach or and then when i was traveling was like moving from city to city and state to state or um, province to province to kind of stand up in front of a group of people and bring a message and the danger of that was like i had like a greatest hits (laughs) um, that i could kind of pull (laughs) out of the bag at any time that i wanted to and then you could also be that shocking new voice that was you know that where where novelty became the thing and i think that's a a danger Mm -hmm. in life is like when when you're constantly sharing something that's novel to other people but is becoming old to you you can become a person who's only ever it's like you're on a greatest hit tour hits tour because you're not creating anymore and because you're not living in a space where everybody knows you anymore so one of the big journeys for me was actually getting to the point in my um in kind of like being part of um ucd and being part of my local church which is well being part of my parish in rathmines um where i'm on the teaching team was like committing myself to okay, my role here isn't to like jump in, throw a bunch of like theological grenades that's going to blow everyone's minds and make me look amazing and then head off and do it in the next place. But actually to be there um, and share with a pastoral heart that was kind of like, you know what, like I'm going to share something that matters to me and that I think can be transformative to, to you. And once I step away from the front of this um, church, we're going to enter into conversation about how we actually live this out rather than me going on to another place that's going to stroke my ego. So like committing to the local has been a really big thing for me. And it's kind of changed it's changed it's changed my perspective because i i'm no longer like a flash in the pan thing and i stick around to hear my critics and to hear those who would challenge me because being community means that so so that was that's been a, an interesting part of my journey right mm. and i think that probably like that probably develops you a lot more as a person mm. too right because like like i know most people who sort of make their living on a tour yeah sort of system like they they only really get to grow in the interim. Like while, you, while you're on the tour, sort of making your living, you're stuck. My brother used to deal with this when he was touring with his band mm-hmm. where you, 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 know, you have a creative thing that you do for maybe a month and then you've got that creative stuff and then you tour it around for like three years. Yeah. And then like you, you just beat it to death until the words don't even mean anything to you anymore. <laughs> and then after that, you're exhausted and you go back and you get another month to like 
reinvent something new that you can shop around. Mm -hmm. So like, it sounds like what you're saying is that like a local dialogue thing enables you to have that conversation once and then actually move on to the next conversation. Yeah. And, and to, so that's, that's really cool. Well, and to see if the rubber hits the road as well, because like if you're creating a load of content, whatever that is, that that's, pointed towards shaping a community or helping a community grow you know you can do the ted talk thing that like is like i guess okay so i used to love ted talks and i have a little bit of a gripe with them now in that like <laughs> all right so like this is a hot take yeah, okay let's, let's go all right are you, are you ready for some malcolm gladwell shade um yeah yeah, yeah let's do it absolutely so, so like he's he's our, our bitter rival on the podcast charts <laughs> but, well yeah well that's fair enough so malcolm gladwell is fantastic <laughs> but one of the things that I've struggled with with him is that sometimes he can make a case around um, the exception to the rule and that can be right. really mm. inspiring for people. But in terms of long-term stuff, I don't know how that's lived out and embodied in community. So it can be really inspiring mm. and and uh, and really kind of transformative for people to hear that. But then they go to live it out and find out that they're actually part of the 95% to whom that doesn't apply to. So what do you do with that mm. group of people? Um, and I think for me, this this means that like when you actually have to stick around after you share whatever, whatever content it is that you're working on, the truth of it comes out in the end as you live it together. And so you kind of actually are still there when they tell you whether or not you were right or wrong. And that's, I, I think it gives you a greater level of accountability. And it means that you actually have to have more integrity as a result, or at least that I have to have more integrity than I would have if I was bouncing from place to place and um, kind of um, getting a load of affirmation from people that I don't know. Right. Yeah. Because if you're hopping around, no one knows what your real life is like. Yeah, right. No, totally. It is. No one knows what's going on in your heart. Yeah. It's easy to look and live exceptionally for two to three days at a time. But it's the spaces in between <laughs> that that are, you know, that's where that's where your character's at. No. And, it, and, and, and I would assume that it's actually that for other people, this isn't as much of a challenge. It just happens that for me, this is something that I felt really challenged about. So this is what integrity looked like for me. That doesn't mean that it's for everybody. It's totally cool for other people to go and tour and travel and do whatever it is that they're doing. But for me, this is the best way for me to be faithful to what I feel like I was called to. So what what do you think you are learning in your community right now? I'm learning that old, like one of the things I'm learning is that old labels don't apply. Like there, it's funny because I work for a church as well as working for a university. So I kind of, I have the way in which, you know, I spend my weekend you know, in terms of Sunday, hearing how the church sees the world. And then at a university, I see how the world sees the church. And so uh, I, I get this kind of like, you know, the, these perspectives that, you know, I sometimes get these perspectives, not necessarily from my church, but from the Christian world in which I live with uh, about, uh, about you know, the, you know, these godless atheists or something like that. But like last week, <laughs> when last week we were doing this come and see week, and it was this beautiful week um, where we were doing an open coffee shop in the college from 10 till 4, where Christians were serving free tea and coffee, and people could give donations to the Irish Refugee Council. And then we were doing like faith and seminars in the afternoon. So mm. we had like faith and justice, faith and mental health, faith and the arts and faith and science. And there were these really brilliant conversations that we were facilitating. And every night I was going home and baking 100 to 150 chocolate chip cookies to give out to these students. And like, you know, it's, it's, it's part of this rhythm of life of just, you know, it's a really good conversation starter with people. It feels good to make something that serves other people and people enjoy it. And they, you know, it shows you that, it, you know, it helps you demonstrate that you actually can be trusted despite how they might see your religion. But on one of the nights, I just didn't have it in me anymore. I was so exhausted. There was so much going on. And we'd recently got some very bad news as a family and there was no way I was going to be able to bake cookies. So I just came home and I cut my mm. losses and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to have to be okay with this. And I showed up the next day and there was 150 cookies sitting on the counter ready to go. And they were, and those cookies were baked by the head of the Atheist and Secular Student Society, um, who was serving wow. coffee behind the table because of his love for us as people and for our community and for this conversation that we were having about where we find meaning in life. So, like the the previous categories or or the very the very um, expedient categories that help me draw lines between me and them um, don't really apply as much in the world in which I'm learning to live in universities, and that's been really humbling for me mm. and also incredibly encouraging for me. But it means that like I try to I guess I try to live out my faith differently as a result of that because I realize wow actually a lot of the time my experience is that those. Um, it's not just the church that has good and amazing people. <laughs> um, but if you spend too long in church, you, you can become convinced of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, that's really cool that your your university is like successfully functioning as a way, as a place where people from like totally different ideologies can actually converse 
and learn from each other. Um, and I, I think that that's like, th that is like conversation is so important because you, like you grow up, I've, I've had this experience, you grow up in the church and a lot of the messages you hear are about like, you about how you're going to be persecuted if you go out into the world, right? Yeah. And meanwhile, um, a lot of the things that secular people hear is how the the religious people are going to come at you and try to like impose their their version of the world on you. And everybody's so afraid of each other mm -hmm. because they're not talking to each other. They're talking about a version of each other that they've like constructed for themselves in their own groups. And that version has evolved until it's like perfectly maddening and just the perfect adversary to rail against. We other each other yeah. as caricatures. And then we mm -hmm. and then every time that somebody somebody does something even if they do something kind or nice, we interpret it through the lens of the caricature that we've given them and then we write them off as a result of it. And so it, it's almost like we're mm. having a conversation about them in our heads where that they don't get to participate in. And that is one of the cruelest things possible and is is responsible for so much of the death and the destruction in our world. So like one of the cool things that they've been doing in UCD way before I arrived is the chaplains were running an interfaith thing every month or two. And like so what happens is people from every religion and no religion on campus are invited together. Now there's 26,000 students on campus, but only like 30, you know, anywhere from kind of 10 to 30 will show up at this thing. But um, mm. students from all different religions and backgrounds and cultures will come together and we sit around in a circle and we discuss a theme through the lens of our background. And so we discussed, um, one day we were discussing peace and there's this beautiful guy called Shady, who's a Muslim guy from Egypt. And he, I remember him, he, he would, he turned to the group and in, and he starts talking in Arabic. And you realize that he's actually quoting the Quran verbatim in its in its in its language, and um, and then he translates it, and then he he told us he he was talking about peace. Well, we were all talking about peace, and he said, "A Muslim is somebody from whom you have nothing to fear, whether from their mouth or from their hands." And I was like, "How stunningly beautiful is this? And how much have I been robbed of hearing your voice because I live in this like kind of Western media bubble that lives by those caricatures rather than the real life character." Mm. of the people in front of me yeah and to to experience that person like there's no th th there's infinitely more complexity to that person than any caricature even if the caricature is broadly accurate mm -hmm. like even if you you have a decent idea of you know what you know statistically speaking atheists are like or <laughs> what statistically speaking muslims are like there's there's no, uh, there's no amount of knowing those statistics is going to give you any idea what that actual person is. Yeah. Who, who, like, well, and then and then you turn that around as well and realize that that broad term into which people fit is, um, you know, if somebody was to do the same thing with Christians, immediately we would break things down into different categories. Oh well, that's what Episcopalians are like. But have you met a Methodist recently? And what about the Presbyterian perspective on this? And I don't know if a charismatic would feel that way. But what about the Assemblies of God? Or is, are we including Mormons in this? You know, like immediately, like you kind of break down all these little stereotypes, which are these ways of drawing lines that define other people as being wrong and different because I live in the rightest possible little bubble. It just so happens of all the per, mm. you know, there's one perfect person in the world, and I just happen to be them. Um, so, you know, kind of getting the chance to break down and mess with that stuff has been has been really, really cool. The other thing that I've, I've really loved as well is that is being part of the societies on campus. So, like, do you guys have like in in Canadian universities, do you have like fraternities and sororities or or we, how do you... we do? I've never really I've never known much about them, but they do exist. OK, and um, so we have here we don't have fraternities and sororities, but we do have student societies. So, like, we have the atheist right. and secular society. We've got three different Christian societies, <clears throat> but we also have like a law society. And every week they do debates in a full parliamentary debating chamber in our university. And they've started Ooh. inviting me to come along and debate with them. So, <laughs> like, um, I like being able to participate in that and actually. And just seeing how like people say, well, everyone's trying to shut Christians down or, or shut religious people down or kick it out of religion, uh, out of, you know, out of our, the dialogue that's happening in our culture. I mean, I haven't seen that to be true here. In fact, if anything, I've seen most Christians being too afraid to actually enter into that space because they don't trust people. And um, so actually, uh, like my experience there has been people are incredibly welcoming and open and super excited to hear your perspectives, even if they don't agree with you. So. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Sorry, I feel like mm. I've talked for a long time there. I get very excited about my work. Like it's, 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 it just feels like <laughs> one of the coolest things in the world to me. 
I just can't believe I get to do this for a living. That's good. We we like when when people get excited about things. Mm. Yeah, it means we don't have to do as much work. <laughs> <laughs> there was a there's actually there's been some similar like there was a, a good talk t- I went to the other day um, at McGill University that was a part of a series put on by, by a bunch of the Christian groups there, and it was one um, by this guy who I I wish life of me I wish I could remember his name but I can't but he. He had a talk called Why I'm Not an Atheist, But I Like Their Questions. And it was like it was like ten minutes of him talking mm-hmm. and then the entire purpose was like 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 ninety-five percent of the people there were Christians. Um but he said right at the outset, yeah. like, All right, you Christians, it's not the time for you to ask questions now. <laughs> like just the like the people who are of a completely different faith or like don't believe in anything. Like we're gonna have a conversation like me and them and see if we can't like you know, just understand each other. Yeah. And I thought like this is this is more effective than like a hundred talks where the person just gets up and preaches for an hour. And more effective. Those are all those are all speak yeah, but th- those all speak really well to that ninety five percent who are already there mm-hmm. and does nothing for the people who came with one specific question that nobody will answer right so yeah and, yeah. and uh, Good things happen. there is a, there is a te- there is a tendency I think as well um particularly within kind of fresh expressions of church or like church plants and stuff like that you see this caricature quite regularly you know where the preacher gets up and you know he's not standing he's sitting on a stool and he goes this isn't a sermon this is a conversation and then he sits and talks for 25 minutes and there's no time for questions <laughs> and it's like oh, okay it, it, it's bad enough that you think i'm dumb enough to believe what you just uh, how you just lied to me but you know I, I i would much rather you were at least honest about the fact that i don't have a voice here um you mm. know there and, and there's I don't know. The other thing with Christians as well that, you know, challenging my own kind is that I think sometimes we can be really dishonest about the really good questions that um, that atheists and agnostics have. You know, like some days I feel like that I'm like 60 percent Christian and 40 percent agnostic and or in some days the other way around, because when you go through a certain amount of things in life, it can't help. It can't but help, you know, like I, I kind of feel like if you can watch the news and see what's happening in the world and it doesn't make you question either the existence of God or the goodness of God, then you don't understand what's going on or you don't care. <laughs> like it's kind of one of those wow. two things. Like, like there's a, there's a faithful doubt that comes from experiencing the amount of pain that the world is in at the moment. And if we refuse to acknowledge that by just becoming stoic fundamentalists, well then we're becoming the exact kind of people that I think Jesus criticized at his, at his most hardcore. Mm. Sorry, I know yeah, your I podcast isn't tendency. all about faith. I don't mean to like hijack this conversation and make it all about that. <laughs> no, no, it's totally fine. Scott, this okay. hour is about you. Yeah. <laughs> we just want you to feel special. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even releasing this. It's part of your therapy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We hope that you will have gained something from this that you can go out into the world. Um, what was I going to say? I've I've lost my train of thought now. Sorry, my bad. Well, I was just thinking while you were saying all that, like, yeah, it, it resonates with me, this idea that non-christians have the best questions about like faith and stuff like i've always found that my best conversations with people about you know kind of anything relating to my faith have been with the people who don't believe the same thing as me Mm -hmm. or believe something you know not entirely like different from what i believe but like you know rooted in something else right like my old roommate was uh i mean he's an atheist but he and i would have fantastic conversations till like two in the morning sometimes about life and faith and just existence and whatnot and they really those were the conversations that left me like thinking and feeling energized and wanting more Mm. not the conversations with people who believe the same gospel as i do yeah those are boring. Yeah. Well, I mean, not. Well, they're you know, not, not pre- present company excluded. Like, like obviously, uh, obviously, boring is 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 a slight amount of an overstatement. But there's there's definitely something true to that in terms of there there is no growth to be found in an echo chamber, and so only by hearing different perspectives can you can you grow. I mean, I remember last year they had Islamic Week on campus, and they had kind of like Islamic evangelists who were kind of you know sharing their faith with people, and it was so interesting seeing things from the other side because I've met you know hundreds of Christian evangelists. But I've never met a Muslim evangelist before. So me and this one guy, we're sitting down and we're talking or whatever. And he and his 
he had obviously been trained this way and you see this happen on the other side too that sometimes Christians are trained to kind of like shoot down Islam in some way and um, okay. and he had obviously been trained from the other side of it and he started going after the Trinity and um, and he was like but your book doesn't even say it and what about this bit and he starts quoting to me like from the Gospels like um, and I'm just kind of going you know this is this is really interesting I've never been on the other side of this and it kind of what what makes me uncomfortable in Christianity also makes me uncomfortable in Islam because these are clearly pre-prepared. <laughs> However, what was brilliant about it was the questions, you know, the questions that were there. He was like, you know, it never says the Trinity. And and I was preaching last week on the Holy Spirit and the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the Father and the Son within Christianity. And the thing that I came to, and it was kind of spurred on by that question, was like the beauty of the idea of the Trinity when he said, like, the Trinity is never mentioned. I was like, how amazing is it that God is so mysterious we had to make up language to describe him because he couldn't be contained in our preconceived notions. Like that for me makes my faith more beautiful, not less secure. So, um, but it's only by his, by hearing his questions and by going back and forth with him in honest, real, authentic dialogue that I actually learned more about my faith and my love for it. I, you know, there's there's nothing to be afraid of, especially not if you know everybody's everybody's pursuing truth. If someone else has got a better argument for than I do, then it's intellectually um, disingenuous of me for me to try and refute it purely on the basis of me wanting the superiority of my tribe. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think that I hope that that's true. Like there's, there's times where I feel like there are two, they're broadly, I mean, there, are, there are two types of people, although I hate the two types of people statements. Like, <laughs> like there's, I, there's this quote that says there's two types of people, people who say there's two types of people and people who don't, <laughs> and I'd rather be the other one. Um, but often I, I feel like the arguments that never make any headway, like on like Facebook and stuff like that, is when you end up like with people who are not actually like who don't actually believe that finding the truth is the highest value. And it's it's something it's almost like a, a faith claim in itself that you have to make or like mm -hmm. a, a value judgment you have to make to say that actually to find the actual truth of the matter is the important thing. I'm not sure if that's like universally accepted, at least on like a subconscious level. Because mm -hmm. if, if people have a have a lie that they think will, or, or at least an ideology that they think will benefit society, I wonder if they always care whether it's true or not, mm -hmm. just whether it's useful. Well, yeah, and I think sometimes they start with a preconceived note, like the one thing that they know, you know, <laughs> one truth I hold to be self-evident is that I could never have been part of the wrong thing. <laughs> so whatever my side is, hmm. it has to be justifiable. And that's why you see people <laughs> doing the kind of intellectual gymnastics that lead them to vote for people like Donald Trump or, um, you know, or support any kind of destructive movement that is consistently othering people, you know, and you hear the reasons and the reasons, I guess, for me, even within myself that I've justified being part of certain things in the past is not because I, I actually... Like the reason I'm reacting is not because I think the other person is wrong, but that I'm afraid that I'm wrong. And that fear leads me to kind of like conversational violence instead of mm. instead of contemplative silence where I truly react to another person with authenticity and with the humility to say, you know, what, maybe I am wrong about that. Like maybe I have jumped the gun. Maybe I'm not asking myself the hard questions. Maybe I am um, being, uh, you know, duplicitous with myself. Hmm. True wisdom is knowing that you know nothing. So saith somebody. Was that Socrates? Quite possibly. Right, that was Jesus. More importantly, <laughs> more importantly, only a Sith deals in absolutes, which is a oh, Star Wars reference. Snap. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of the Bible, don't we have a Patreon question? We do have a Patreon question. Oh, awesome. Um, speaking of the Bible, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Uh, guys, Patreon.com slash Up for Discussion is where you can go to pledge to support this show financially. Uh, and join the fine ranks of people like Gabriel, who uh, this month wants us to talk about uh, what was the last book that we started reading and never finished. See, that's that's where the Bible connection comes in. Mm. Oh. <laughs> nice. Nicely done. Um, yeah, I guess that's fair. I started reading the Bible once and didn't finish. <laughs> I was actually, I, I was thinking about that in response to that question because um, just yesterday I was perusing Revelation and realized that I have like started reading Revelation like four or five times. I swear, I've I've like been like, okay, I'm gonna see what what the heck is in this crazy book, and I've started reading it. And then I I get about five chapters in. I think I get to like the thing with the scrolls, 
some point in that. And then there's a bunch of different animals with eyeballs. And at some point I, I just like, like it's, it's, I, I don't know. I always stop. Basically what happens is you get past the seven letters to the churches and it goes into apocalyptic vision stuff. And you're like, great. Yeah. And now I'm on an LSD trip and this isn't what I signed up for. Yeah. And there's like a few chapters of this yet to go. So I think I might start reading Revelation backwards. Like I started from the end yesterday. I opened I opened the Bible to the last page and I was like, I'm going to read this sort of like paragraph by paragraph backwards and see how it like, like builds to that, to the ending point where, I don't know, everything is done. And then if you add anything, then you'll get all the plagues added to you. Because I know that line. If you want to, if you want to do something, um, Oh, or if you want to experience something really cool, um, I can send you a book. My friend, uh, Reverend Philip Duvall, who's formerly of uh, Costa Mesa, California, but is now in Cincinnati, Ohio, I believe. Um, and he needed a little he, humility. He, pardon me? Sorry, he needed what? some humility. Oh, so yeah, yeah. He California. also needed some humility. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, he's um, He, for his uh, master's thesis during his ordination, um, rewrote Genesis chapter 1 to 11 backwards uh, in the form of a novel. So what happens is okay. um, a bunch of... A bunch of strangers who speak different languages come together and find the Tower of Babel and they climb it and start tearing it down to make houses and in doing so learn a common language. And the entire story moves back towards the singularity, like the moment of God creating the world and walking with people. Um, It's (laughs) bananas. It's it, it's more like a it's like it's not an actual theological treatise so much right. as it is like a contemplative <laughs> reflection but it's really really powerful like there's like some he, serious like tear jerking moments in it he genuinely pulled it off because that's like oh yeah that's cool that seems it, like it, one it of those things stunning. i would i would imagine doing and then just balk at the like the fact that I've, i have no idea whether it would work <laughs> Oh no, he ma- he makes it work, and I found myself seriously emotional, and found that I almost learned more than that, more, uh, and maybe that's because of my familiarity with Genesis. But I felt like I relearned those those first eleven chapters in Genesis as a result of reading them backwards because of the um, the powerful way in which he wrote them. It, like gave me all this insight into like the undoing of these things that were so destructive, like the first murder and the first lie and that kind of thing. So yeah, it was really powerful. Yeah. And in terms of books I've started, but I haven't finished, I started The Divine Dance by Richard Rohr yet, but I, it's not that I haven't finished it on purpose. It's just that I'm, I'm not finished it yet. What is, what is the, 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 the divine dance based on what the divine dance so far? Is it based, is it based it, on that song that I sang at the opening about the Lord of the dance? That's what that was. <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, not quite, uh, it, it's about Trinitarian theology. So it's about what, what does, what does the Holy Trinity, like, what does the, um, what does the Trinity mean and what does it mean for us to believe it? So it's kind of like, what does it look like for one of the really interesting quotes in it? Like, is God is three because one is lonely, two is confrontational, and three is community. Like, and there's this interplay between the three of them. Um, sounds like a, the, a quilted pillow. <laughs> Sorry, come, come again. Oh, <laughs> you know those like embroidered but, pillows with like sayings that are pithy, but you're not entirely <laughs> sure whether they mean anything. Or like a needlepoint. <laughs> Yeah, it could be seen like that, but the guys do a much better job than me of describing it. And I've been I've been enjoying it. There's some really cool stuff in it. Mm. But don't you know, Scott, that the Trinity isn't even in the Bible? I do know that. I heard <laughs> a Muslim brother told me that recently. Mm. What a legend. Mm. Tom, what's the last book you uh The last book I read? Yeah. So yeah, I, I kind of have two two answers to that, because one of them I haven't given up on yet. Uh, so the last book I started and haven't finished, but I'm planning to is, uh, Ron Chernow's biography of George Washington, which is great. Super fun. Ooh. Fascinating. Really, really well written. Um, is it true that he had wooden teeth? Haven't gotten there yet. So no spoilers. Okay. I uh, guess you wouldn't be born with <laughs> such teeth. You would, you would get them later <laughs> in life. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> well, you never know, right? Things were weird. I love the, the idea that maybe he was born with no teeth, and and his parents were just like, "Oh no, children are supposed to be born with teeth." And they gave him wooden <laughs> teeth, so his teeth never grew in. And then it, it's a tragedy because the the it blocks the actual teeth from growing, and they just sit there in his mouth. Baby dentures. Exactly. His well intentioned but uncivilized parents ruined his mouth. 
That's brilliant. I love that. Mm. <laughs> was it wait, was it George Washington who chopped down the cherry tree? Allegedly. Was he just needing more wood for his teeth? You never know, right? <laughs> <laughs> How many teeth does a man need? The last uh, the last book that I like started and just didn't finish, I just gave up on, was uh, Les Miserables. I made it like a third of the way through it, and I was like, I've still got more than a thousand pages left of this. I quit. <laughs> Do you think- Wait, and have you never read it? No. <laughs> so you have the tattoo just purely based on the musical? Well, I mean, let's be fair. Which one of those has had more of an impact on like pop culture? <laughs> um, that's. Yeah. I- I suppose we have we weren't around when the initial bombshell of Les Miserables was dropped back in the uh, early early 1800s, something like that. But also, like most of the people who were alive then couldn't read, so really, <laughs> kind of a waste of time writing a book back then. <laughs> Victor Hugo should have been working on a musical. Well, you know, can't do everything. Do you think you were hampered from finishing the book by the fact that you already knew how it was going to end? I mean, I already know how George Washington's life ends. Well, you haven't finished that one either. I haven't finished that book, but I'm planning to. <laughs> I guess broadly speaking, we know how everybody's life ends. Sure, yeah. But I'm assuming that a biography of George Washington ends with his death. Hmm. Maybe right. something after that. You never know. Ron Chernow's a genius. And then George Washington <laughs> and then- was reincarnated. <laughs> and then George Washington was cryogenically frozen, wooden teeth and all, and he awaits the day that he has to come back and rescue the United States of America from a fascist dictator. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. I mean, if if no one has written that book yet, someone should. You, uh, I'm on it, lads. You got, I'm on got it. Any I copyright it here and now. On? You, could, uh, you could take this one. Million dollars. Uh, I... I am working on other book projects that will not be featuring featuring the reanimated corpse of George Washington. All right. I, mean, but... I think you need to sneak him in there somehow. Even if it's just another like <laughs> book about Jesus, you gotta you gotta sneak George Washington's reanimated corpse into it. Scott, do you want what? to uh do you want to sell six books at a local Dublin bookstore or do you want to be the next best selling <laughs> sensation? <laughs> uh, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna continue to settle for six books I, don't, I again we have to stick with me being on the humbling paths rather than stuff that would play into my ego ah uh, yes <laughs> i don't want to uh, go how, full malcolm gladwell on it all how quickly i forget so <laughs> this new book you're working on is it a young adult novel about uh, a plucky young man with wooden teeth who uh, goes on to you know marry a beautiful girl and also win the revolution it, it, you know what that's exactly what it's about. Hmm. Why don't you uh, flesh that out for us? Maybe give us a few more details. <laughs> uh, well, he lived in the first century in Palestine. And um, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what I'm going to do. Is I, I'm, I'm going to is it conflate. Is that the right? I'm going to conflate the stories of Jesus and George oh, Washington. Oh, that is very much what end, I was hoping you would do. And, and, and then end with Israel and the United States of America being the same thing. The book is called Manifest Destiny. Okay. Is, yeah, is, no, that, is, it, is it spelled like M A N A fest? Hmm. Uh, yeah, M A N N A, and N-N-A. we got a bit of Moses in there as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're going with. Yeah, no, I am actually working on a new book called Christ Mess, um, which is a book for Christmas that'll hopefully be out next year, um, and it's looking at like the messiness of the incarnation and just like the complete madness of the gospel stories. Um, uh, so yeah, so hmm. we'll see if that ever comes out. Do you uh, do you have a cover selected yet? Do you know what uh, what filter you're going to put on this one? <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a cover idea for it yet, uh, and that it's going to be the excrement of animals and straw and an empty manger, um, and that's going to be the that's the plan for it. That's, that's beautiful. That's pretty good. I you're not going to put any like bodily fluids there as well, because you know incarnation is literally quite a messy process. Mm. Yeah, placenta. Among <laughs> others, I mean, I could, I could definitely see there being blood there. Um, urine and placenta are probably a bridge too far for me mm. in some weird way. Yeah, yeah, you might scare off those six people. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's my big concern. This the sixteen euro that I would make from selling books to them. Mm. Yeah. So what what do you mean by like by messy? in regards to more than just the fact that there was a lot of straw and animal poop Mm. um i guess there's a whole there's just a whole load of stuff in the christmas christmas narratives that um 
I have only really been being awakened to over the past few years. So like in the genealogies, there's only four women mentioned and each of them have really, really complicated um, kind of messy stories of a lack of consent of being forced into prostitution of being like all this kind of all this kind of stuff that goes outside the typical rigid religious box of who it is that god works through and whether or not things are pure or impure and people have spent so much time focusing on you know kind of like the immaculate conception like in the middle of a really really complicated human and messy genealogy Mm. and then there's things like the wise men showing up with three crazy ass gifts like um the wise men show off the wise Wise men show up with like so the gold obviously is is like essentially cash. Uh, frankincense is nice smelling things, and myrrh is a painkiller. So they essentially showed up with cash toiletries and painkillers for a young mother. It's perfect, <laughs> and um, uh, but each of them also like. They're also things that Jesus rejects through his life. So he rejects the gold of a king. He rejects the incense of a priest. And he also rejects the painkiller myrrh on the cross. And Mm. so all three are appropriate gifts, but he rejects each one in terms of his redemption of human history. And so like there's all these things in the in the Christmas story that are so incredibly like symbolically powerful. And yet we just miss miss out on them because they're too busy like... I don't know. Like, I think sometimes like arguing or talking about the wrong things. And so it's probably some... super boring for people who aren't fascinated by this stuff. But it's the stuff that gets me up in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. That sounds like it's going to be good. Uh, we hope so. I, I. I mean, those are basically the two chapters I've written in my head. The rest of them are going to be a bit of a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I know a thing or two about writing things in your head and not actually writing them. Mm. Well, you just you just need one of Scott's motivational speeches about how. You have no more excuses because there's a YouTube tutorial for everything. Mm-hmm. Except, except something like writing in, in a weird way. Like, That's because true. writing, you know, like, uh, I mean, I can learn how to edit a podcast or I can learn how to, you know, what an RSS feed is, or I can learn how to use layers in Photoshop. But in terms of actually like writing something that's powerful and moving, I, I don't, I'm not sure you can be taught that, especially not, mm. I mean, if it what if you could be taught that musically, I would have tried to learn, but I, I just don't have a musical bone in my body. And um, mm. so I just couldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. That's right. true. I think maybe that is the bottleneck now. Like the bottleneck used to be that there were like a, a lot of people had brilliant ideas and didn't have the money or means to make them reality. And now I think the bottleneck is that everybody could make something, but also like you need to, you need to actually have an idea. So like writer's block used to only be a problem for writers or, or like the primary mm-hmm. problem for writers, but now I think it's the primary problem for all sorts of uh, yeah. like artistic media, where it's whether it's music production or video production or whatever it is, it's it's come mm-hmm. down to that that fundamental like, am I creative enough? <laughs> that paralyzes yeah. you. Yeah, which is like there's and it's it's a bit of a double edged sword as so many kind of cultural shifts are because on the one hand it's amazing in terms of the accessibility that people have now to be able to just go and create stuff. Mm-hmm. The problem is the accessibility of all this kind of media has meant that you can. <laughs> There's a great old story about a leprechaun. That's right. I'm going to play into the Irish stereotypes. <laughs> Hold on, let me, uh, of let me sing another Irish jig for a moment. No, All right, go, do it. Go do on. your thing. Um, okay. No, go tell your story. Are you playing it? Play it. Do you do you have a? I, do I know any Irish jigs? Man, I don't think so. Um, do you know a ukulele, ukulele version of "Going Down to Boston" by the? <laughs> what are they? Um, Shipping out to Boston. La, la, la. There we go. All right, you can. Uh, you can uh, there. Now, now you're le- to your to the leprechaun. Yeah. So there's this there's this old story about a woman who finds a leprechaun. When you find a leprechaun, you ask them where their treasure is buried. So um, mm. the woman takes um, she takes she asks the woman asks the leprechaun where his treasure is buried and he takes her out to the woods and he shows her and he can't lie so he shows her where the the treasure is buried in the woods and she says um uh, and she says, okay, I have to go and get a shovel in order to be able to dig this up. So she ties a ribbon around the tree and she makes the leprechaun swear that she that he will not touch the ribbon. And so um, she goes back to get a shovel and when she comes back, every tree in the forest has a ribbon tied around it. Mm. Um, and so she can no longer find it. And I think sometimes like the accessibility of incredible art that's now, or well, of 
the accessibility of art today is so is such that it's almost like everything has a ribbon tied around it and it's actually so hard to find the good stuff because we're caught in this like deluge of everything that people are creating it's been great that everyone can create it but that doesn't necessarily mean that the best things are coming to the top oftentimes it's you know like we're in our lives are being dominated by art that just doesn't resonate with stuff and it you know it we, we're being you know our lives are being filled with kardashians and clickbait um, mm. and being robbed of something beautiful as a result and I think also it's very possible for the culture to to quickly move from one thing to the other. So you'll see with with meme explosions where one type of thing will be incredibly popular for a couple of weeks, and then you know, like a, a whole YouTube channel, for example, can spring up as a result of this. That's doing B movie memes, mm -hmm. or like every time Smash Mouth says the word the, it, it goes into a different key <laughs> or something. Um, and then the, like, that's going to be great for that person for a couple of weeks, but they're like, then the culture will move on to something else and someone else will have the spotlight for those two minutes. Hmm. So yeah. I don't know. How We're do moving you find into that an Andy Warhol universe. How do you guys find that with your with the art that you create? How like how do you how do you find that in terms of actually keeping up to date with stuff? Because you guys tap into into like the kind of zeitgeist of the moment at different times. But you're like if you're making content month to month and you're trying to keep up with that as well as be integral to what you feel called to create. Like how do you find that balance for yourself? Mm. So for myself, like coming into this as a person who has only recently started making YouTube videos again, uh, my mm -hmm. <clears throat> my tendency. Uh, in terms of like trying to do things that I feel like are relevant is that I do things that I myself want to see and that I enjoy, right? So if I'm, you know, if I'm consuming memes, if I'm consuming culture and there's, you know, stuff that's happening presently that entertains me, that's going to heavily influence the next thing that I make. Uh, and because what I'm making is so sort of small scale, I can really do as much of that as I want with it, uh, which I think gives me the ability to like, so that alternative facts about birds video that I made was like, you know, alternative facts happened. And two days later, I wrote that video and shot it the next day. Right. <laughs> so like I can kind of I've set it up for myself so that I can do that to some extent. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, th I think the other thing is that even though there is that element of the culture, <clears throat> there are certain things that don't go away. Right. Like you were talking about the importance of conversation. I don't think that's something mm -hmm. that's going to disappear anytime in the future. Like that need to have important conversations between people with like different ideas of how the world is. That's not something that's going to be a flavor of the week. It's been the flavor of the past human civilization history, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, something something like a podcast or something like where you're having conversations, you just keep doing what you're doing and I I think that it's you you probably will not become a huge viral success off of it but also you will not be a viral success that comes crashing down either mm. like it's just <laughs> the, it's there and you sort of slowly build it yeah and then it. i've sort of like yeah for my stuff i've tapped into another um you know thing that isn't going anywhere which is this big institution of science right that everybody's you know everybody w wants to know more about the world so that's not going to go anywhere um yeah. music isn't going anywhere so I just, mostly I just avoid the trends these days because I'm s too slow to capitalize on them. Okay, interesting. Hmm. It's interesting about the the peaking and troughing that comes with that. You know, like hmm. th there's a danger to becoming viral, um, in that it's almost impossible to maintain without. You, you know, like not everything that you do that is a passion project for you is going to go viral unless unless you either sell out on your passions or, or are allowed or, or allow yourself to have some things that just don't land with people, mm -hmm. but it landed with you. And that was the important part of the creative process for you. Um, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a funny kind of tension to live with. Like we found that with the graveyard shift is that like, you know, we, we're never at risk of going viral, but you know, over the last two years, we've had really, really steady growth mm -hmm. where I'm kind of like blown away at what our weekly listenership is. And, have been fascinated to find like even in months where we take a break we actually find that we're actually having a huge amount of downloads there because somebody's listening to one episode however it like they probably found it through a keyword search or something like that but then they're going back through yeah because there's something about the chemistry involved in that conversation that makes them want more of it and it's it, it's because of like an ethos or a value system rather than a like something that types into taps into a cultural moment i think I, I i like what you're talking about in terms of there are some things that will be universally part of the of kind of the things 
things that humans are drawn to. Um, and those things are way deeper than the stuff that goes viral. Yeah. Actually, that that note about like, you know, people going back and listening to kind of your back catalog of stuff is something that I've thought about a lot uh, recently. Right. Because mm. we're I, I'm kind of trying to push our podcast so that we're pulling 2000 hits a month uh, by mm-hmm. the time we hit our two year anniversary in June. Uh, and yep. we're basically we're on track for that with the projected numbers that I did math for like two months ago. <laughs> so that's really exciting mm-hmm. for me. But the thing that I realized is that for each new person that we bring on to our fan base who has never heard an episode before and goes back and listens to every episode, that's an extra 100 hits right there because we've got about 100 right. episodes, right? And I think you guys are yeah. in a similar boat, eh? Yeah, we yeah, we we I'm just about to um hit publish on episode 96 tonight. Right. And I think um, this is episode and, and, 96 for us. <laughs> really? I think so. Yeah, that that sounds oh, right. Oh, how right. weird. Wow. Yeah, I mean not wow. including bonus content because I don't include sure. those as numbered. But I, yeah, yeah, there's we, something we do, we do not include bonus content. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. To, is it go ahead, Tim? There's there's something like like I feel like now like with with the YouTube stuff too, like having a back catalog just makes you feel so much more stable Mm -hmm. because, and it's funny Mm -hmm. because a lot of YouTubers, especially the ones who are sort of at my level, it's because like we had an initial great success and then we like, it it was like one or two videos in that we had a gigantic success and then we end up, um, you know, you can't repeat virality. So you end up with this sort of core down at the bottom Mm -hmm. Um, of of people who like really cared about you and stuck around, um, but then there's nothing for them to latch onto, so they just you know they they just wait or or they sort of like those people that you that you brought on have nothing else to consume afterwards. Whereas now, if I have a video that goes a little further, all of a sudden, yeah, those people have like three years of work that I've done to go back and and mm. enjoy and get an idea of who I am. So yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, there's something kind of beautiful about that as well. That like the um that as an artist, like the more and more stuff that you're creating, you're actually creating a rabbit hole for people to go down. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of catch this sense of who you are and what you're about and the kind of things that you create, and then they they get they get to a, to, to do a deep dive into all these different project pro, uh, passion projects that you're working on. Um, yeah, it's a cool experience to be offering people. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the, that's how you end up retiring as an artist i suppose is eventually you have a body of work large enough that you can stop making it i, mm. I, don't, I don't know how else i'm ever going to retire <laughs> <laughs> very rich yeah well that, that for me is, is part of why you know like well it's actually like i mean there's there's a couple reasons that my my chaplaincy work is so important to me um one of them is that you know, this other creative stuff that I'm doing in terms of writing books or doing blogs or doing the podcast, it's a small part of my week, but it's really important to me and it's a really important part of my expression. But there's no pressure on that stuff to make enough money for it to live off. Mm. So I actually am free to do it, whether it's profitable or not. And that gives you a certain kind of artistic freedom that says, you know what, I'm going to make what I love um, not make what makes me money. Yeah. Um. So th- there's there's something kind of cool about that. And the other thing about it is that the more I am plugged into an actual community and serving people and connecting with people, the more my creative side is actually fostered. Because if all you do is sit in a room all day going, thinking, what will I create? What will I create? What will I create? You're not having enough real life experiences for there to be touch points in your art for other people to resonate with that actually gives them, th- that actually makes them say, I trust this person or I trust their voice or I hear their perspectives because you're not learning and growing from new experiences mm-hmm. right it has to be a conversation there has to be a dialogue even if it's in the form of a monologue <laughs> mm, yeah 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 but th- and there and there should be there should be opportunity for people to kind of for people to kind of plug in and engage because i mean there's nothing wrong there's nothing like an an entire life spent as a monologue isn't a wise thing right. but monologues you know extended periods of talking before you listen again are no bad thing so mm. it's more yeah. about a life rather than than individual moments you're right there's that there's a real there's a real danger of getting caught up in thinking i need to produce something and i need to isolate myself until i produce it and it's it's mm-hmm. amazing how quickly that can change like you you I think the danger, what the reason you do that is that you think, well, if I'm going to go out into the world, I'm going to have to spend like 
a year gathering experiences and like reading all this stuff and going on a road trip with a bunch of people and have some sort of crazy life-changing thing that then I can write about. But surprisingly, Mm. what often happens to me is that it just takes walking down the street for 10 or 20 Mm -hmm. minutes to have something trigger a different thought that then, uh, you know, sort of activates your entire creative complex that you say, that's a new way of thinking about it, or that's a toehold. And then you can go back and obsess about it if you want, because you actually have something. (laughs) Mm. Well, yeah, and these things, they don't need to be, like, every day doesn't need to be groundbreaking in order for you to make new art. But every Mm. day does need to have some kind of variety of experience. Otherwise, there'll be no release in the pressure that's building up within you. Mm. I remember one of the students who, like, kind of was, he used to be an intern with me. Once he finished his internship with me, he... um, he went off and he pursued music full time and he was doing really, really well. He was touring the UK and Ireland, but that he was writing these songs that came from this kind of like the, the broken pursuit of affirmation and the songs were incredibly powerful for people, but at the same time, they required a continuous life of self-destruction for him to be writing about reaching rock bottom. Ah. And so sometimes people can have that kind of like, kind of, um, an almost parasitic relationship with their own lives that they're actually cannibalizing themselves in order to make art. And mm-hmm. so I was actually I was actually preaching at this guy's wedding because he, he eventually quit music um, and uh, he became a fishmonger. And I remember saying, <laughs> I was never so glad the moment that you left music and became a fishmonger because it, as much as it was a death to this particular art form at one point in your life, it was also the end of this damaging journey. And the quote I used to describe it was a Sarin Kierkegaard quote, which says that... Um, uh, the the songwriter or the poet is somebody whose lips are so perfectly formed that when they cry out in anguish, we hear beautiful music. And so when you say to the songwriter, sing to me again, what you're actually saying is may new tragedies befall you. Um, and so there there's a, I don't know, there's this, there's this relationship we can have with our art that is, that can be so destruction, destructive and dysfunctional that, you know, we, we almost need to set ourselves free from it. Mm, yeah. As the, mid 2000s band emo band cursive would say you gotta sink gotta sink gotta sink to swim because we all know art <laughs> is hard but we don't know who we are Ooh, and I as like creed that. would say we're all waddle over. <laughs> <laughs> guys i'm really sorry i came on your podcast and made it boring by being super serious you're just catching me at a weird moment on a this Monday is actually night. this is uh, i've found this a fascinating conversation yeah Scott. No, it's this been, has been good okay cool i feel like i've had a few revelatory moments of uh of your wisdom is there any are there any additional like um tidbits of knowledge that you would like to leave our listeners with if you could if you could tell a hundred or so people one thing, <laughs> <laughs> what would it be? If you had one shot, one opportunity. Yeah, um, Tom Spaghetti. Uh, <laughs> Tom Spaghetti. Um, to, was that your username for a while? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, I think that was your Twitter. That's name actually for a how while. you spe- how you pronounce Tom's last name. Just oh man. Oh no, I, I, I've been doing it wrong all these years. A couple of weeks ago, I was hosting an improv show, and the tech guy asked me how to pronounce my last name so that he could, you know, announce me as I was coming on stage at the beginning. Uh, and I was like, "It's Zalatni," which rhymes with the fat guy. That, that's good. Yep, Tom's the fat guy. Did, 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 did what? Did what did he say? Did, oh, he, did he, he actually say Zalatni? He, did he nail yeah, it, or did this yeah, he just put it. him off completely? <laughs> he All nailed right, it. Okay, he cool. he scribbled rhymes with the fat guy under my last name, and he nailed it. <laughs> I'm impressed that it like. You you have you have now found a way to tell people how to pronounce your name. It's I mean, and it works too because, like, it was a long time coming, but you'll have it for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, right. I look forward to you at like sixty five trying to tell people how to say your name, and it's, and it just doesn't it it comes differently from a sixty five year old dude. <laughs> it mm. rhymes with the fat guy, <laughs> which is still what I am. <laughs> <laughs> Some things I never know. change. I know. So Scott, uh, yeah, going back last, to your thing about wisdom, I, I don't know how much. Uh, uh, last words. Um, uh, I don't have a huge amount. The thing I keep saying to myself at the moment is to um, is to stop making like you know how we were talking about earlier about making excuses for not doing things. Mm-hmm. The other thing as well is that I don't have an excuse every day to not be learning stuff. Like there is, there is so much like. 
they like uh, yeah i mean the internet is like drinking from a firehouse um <laughs> and i i spend a ridiculous amount of time you know watching watching the dumbest stuff imaginable instead of watching stuff that would blow my mind um and so i don't know i'm trying to figure out how to make better choices on that i don't know what that means for other people but i need to make better choices on that and that's what i'm trying to figure out how to do Mm. Well, one of the best ways that you can uh, blow your mind with internet content on a daily basis is to listen to back episodes of the Graveyard Shift and the Up for Discussion <laughs> podcast. Yes. Um, so, we, we, the Graveyard Shift is is how do we how do you find it? What platforms are you guys on? We're on iTunes and Stitcher, or you can. Um, it's actually uh, all the audio. Like, I mean. If you don't own a smartphone, I don't know who we're talking to who doesn't own a smartphone. But um, uh, if you mom. don't use iTunes or Stitcher, um, all right, um, Mrs. Blay, uh, oh, no, go she, to Scott Evans. She does. Dang it. It doesn't even apply to her anymore. Okay. Well, all this stuff is on scottevans.ie, which is also my blog where you can find my books and um, some of my writing and that kind of thing. Um, that's where the audio is hosted, but you can find The Great Bear Shift on iTunes and Stitcher. And then I also have another blog called The Revelationary, which is, um, it, I'm more like the editor, the series editor for it. And it's the, the, the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church worldwide follow, and other churches as well, follow the lectionary, which is like a bunch of Bible readings that go through the year. And there's a group of, I'm, I'm managing a cohort of young adults who are writing weekly posts about these um, these different passages that are just coming from different perspectives that other people haven't heard before, trying to give a voice to young adults about uh, um, to influence the church in terms of faith and life and insight. So um, so that's cool. So if people are interested in that, they can find it at revolectionary.com. Excellent. Sweet. And you're on Twitter at Scott Evans. Scott I'm Evans, on Twitter Scott at Evans. not Scott Evans. Not Scott Evans. Not there Scott we go. Evans. Well, you wouldn't. Twitter, wanna... Instagram, and Snapchat is not Scott Evans. Perfect. You wouldn't want to mistake you for somebody named Scott Evans. Does, does Scott uh... Evans has been on t- is on Twitter and he's like he's tweeted four times. He's clearly a massive like political conservative. He hasn't tweeted in like six or seven years, and I can't get that handle. So he does frustrate me. There's also the Irish Olympic badminton champion Scott Evans, who is also not me. <laughs> what about uh, does Chris Evans have a brother? Named Scott. Chris Evans does have a brother who's a uh, soap opera actor and gay icon. Also not me. Wow. You're only one of those two things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, tune in next week when we'll have d- badminton champion Scott Evans on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm, fi- I'm glad that we finally managed to do this. So I uh, yeah. look forward to doing it um, again at some stage. Um, I'll try and not be as boring next time. Okay, um, next time we'll have you actually like in person. Yeah, we'll fly you. Oh out yeah, sweet. Next, so next time I'm, like, in Mon- I'm in Montreal, we're definitely hooking this up in honor we'll of our. And then we'll go back and record at your place. Mm, Sounds good. Yes. And uh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, I have to go poop. So uh, cool. We 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 gonna <laughs> we're gonna end this. Gonna, Peace out, gents. Scott, I'm sorry that, that Tim's a bit of a racist. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, so long. Thanks See for talking to us. See you guys next week. Cheers, lads. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.